0: Okay, we are continuing our study in the ancient landmarks along the life's pathway, and um, I just finished up talking about wisdom and um, what the Bible has to say about wisdom, and of course we went to James chapter 3 on that. Uh, the Seven Pillars of Wisdom in uh, Wisdom's House. And I believe you can find that in James's epistle. And I mentioned that there were three key words in the book of Proverbs. One of those was wisdom. The second one is knowledge. Can anybody think of the third one? Start, starts with a U. Understanding. understanding. Uh, I'm sorry if I didn't hear you. So wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. So we're looking at these three key words. And we're going to look at knowledge uh, this morning and um there's a lot there you know i could spend uh, several weeks just on this topic alone but uh, i want to i don't want to i want to get moving <laughs> i want to get going cuz i don't want to turn this into a four year study okay but anyway so we're going to get moving but i want to i want to talk a little bit about knowledge now if you um are like me Uh, If you go through a book like, for instance, Proverbs, and you come across a key word, uh, I count them out. How many times does this word show up in this particular book? And 42 times you're going to find the word knowledge uh, in the book of Proverbs. If you sit there and you count them all out, 42 times knowledge is mentioned. So what does that tell you? Well, must be something, right, important or significant about this particular word knowledge. Now, when you think of knowledge, really kind of the basic definition of knowledge and maybe everybody might agree with this it's just a collection of facts collection of data collection of information uh, on a particular subject that's kind of why I drew this guy here with a book in his head you know it's just book smart is what we think about sometimes when we think about knowledge uh, somebody who's um, you know very very informed could be somebody very uh, educated not necessarily so but you know we think of that as well we Think of somebody who's also skilled. You know, there are folks who are skilled about certain things, very, very knowledgeable about uh, certain things, and so generally, we 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 will refer to a knowledgeable person as an expert in their field, right? Uh, and boy, I tell you, we've been exposed to some experts here lately. But that's generally what it is. You know, you think of somebody. So, example, if I wanted to uh, be an expert on widgets. Okay? Then I'd go and I would go to the library and I'd try to find all I can from the library about widgets. I would explore widgets. I would look into widgets. I would try to learn everything I could to research widgets, gathering all this information about widgets so that I could be a a widget expert. Does that make sense? Because that's generally what we think of uh, when we think of knowledge. Uh, Of course, I'm dating myself because what do people do today? Do they go to a library? And No, what they do is they get their little phone out and they get into their favorite search engine and then they read maybe a paragraph or two or see a YouTube video and then all of a sudden they're the expert on widgets. Am I not right or wrong? That's usually the way it goes. Um, I came across a quote by Albert Einstein. He says, I fear the day that technology will surpass our human interaction, we will have a world and a generation of idiots. And that was spoken by a man who lived quite... he, He was very foresighted. But he... That quote kind of does address... Knowledge in the in the biblical sense. Paul said it this way in Second Timothy three seven: ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Ever coming to the knowledge of the truth. You know, there's a lot of folks who can collect data. There's a lot of folks that have a lot of knowledge, a lot of fa- uh, facts in their head. But does that necessarily make you an expert? Just because you're knowledgeable about something, does that make you an expert? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Um, To the Greek mind, and I think in a lot of respects to the Western style of thinking, uh, knowledge is equated in knowing facts just for the sake of facts. You know, if you, if you can quote a lot of stuff, if you have facts a lot about a lot of stuff, then you're considered knowledgeable. But does that knowledge do anything for one's character? Does it do anything for one's attitude? Does it do anything for one's behavior toward others? So can we say that that's really knowledge? And we say that's really knowledge. For example, Proverbs twenty-four, eleven uh, through 12 says this. If thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death and those that are ready to be slain, if thou sayest, behold, we knew it not, but you really did, doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it, and he that keepeth thy soul, doth not he know it? and shall not he render to every man according to his works do you understand what that's saying that's saying if you know somebody's in danger but yet you don't say anything to warn that individual who's in danger right what good does that knowledge do you or the one in danger right so that's just a fact that's just a fact let's really bring it home where it hurts we know from this book a fact about the lost don't we we know according to what this book teaches us that the lost will go where when they die we know this don't we We also know from this book how we can tell someone to be rescued from that fate, don't we? What are we doing with that knowledge? What are we doing with that knowledge? Are we indifferent? Are we content that, hey, we're okay? That's where it comes home, doesn't it? That's where it comes home. Something else about this uh, knowledge, the accumulation of information. And you may have known some folks, but sometimes if you've got all this information, what happens to that individual? they get fat-headed, don't they? They get big-headed. They become arrogant. They become conceited. They become haughty, self-important. And they think that they're better than somebody simply because they've got this knowledge in their head. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 8.1, Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge... But he says, knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. I've worked with some very intelligent people in my time. Very intelligent people. Uh, But these same people are very cold. Very clinical. Very arrogant. Very arrogant. Now the Jews... (coughs) when they consider knowledge and we're going to look at this when they consider knowledge yes it's also about the gathering of information, the gathering of of data, it's the the accumulation of information, that's also part of it but also it's what do you do with this up here in regards to how you behave How you treat others. How you are as a person or as an individual. See, for the Jew or the oriental minded, it's not just enough to know, but what are you doing with that knowledge? And what is that knowledge doing to you? To the Jew, you didn't really possess knowledge unless that knowledge was put into, put into action in some way. And she didn't put it into action in some way. Now going back, well in fact, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 8. I'm going to be there for a little bit. See, Paul's dealing with an issue in the church in Corinth. And this kind of deals with what the Jews say about knowledge, about knowing something. And this is the biblical approach to knowledge in 1st Corinthians chapter 8 um, starting in verse 1 we'll just start at the very beginning he says now as touching things offered unto idols we know that we all have knowledge knowledge puffeth up but charity edifieth and if, if any man think that he knoweth anything he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know you see the Corinthian church was made up of Gentiles who were at one time worshipers of idols, okay? And since they had come to know know the Lord Jesus Christ as the true God, then of course they repented of their idol worship, turned to God, and they're now worshiping uh, Jesus Christ. They've turned from the idols. And Paul, some of the folks in the church, to them it was a liberating truth, while others, they were still kind of stuck in the past a little bit, okay? And so Paul is simply saying to these folks, hey guys, we all have this knowledge that idols are nothing, right? Jesus Christ is the living God, but he says, unfortunately, there's some of you that has this liberating knowledge And you become kind of smug and uncharitable to to your brethren who are still struggling with this issue. It says here in 1 Corinthians 8:3, he says, But if any man love God, the same is known of him. He's saying, Guys, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, instead of being smug, you should be loving. You should be loving. He was saying that these individuals that truly understood the liberty that that they have in Christ, they should be charitable to those who are still struggling with these issues of the past. He says in verse 4, he says, As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and there is none other God but one they believed that, they understood this they understood this these folks had turned from the false gods, the idols they turned to the living God, they discovered the liberty from from this truth that they have in Jesus Christ so they were enjoying this liberty that they had in Christ but there were still some that were struggling with some issues of their past life In verse 7 he says, Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge, for some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. That's like, for instance, let's say um, a, a man or a woman was an alcoholic. They were saved, they got saved they know they're saved but they're still dealing with their alcoholism right and if they see another believer enjoying a a glass of wine you see how that reacts to their conscience and in their conscience they're struggling with this bondage that they're under they see this other believer exercising this liberty that they believe they're allowed to, to exercise what's that going to do with the individual that's struggling with this alcoholism you, you see where I'm coming from and that's true in almost anything it doesn't have to be alcohol it could be almost anything we had friends of ours who <coughs> struggled with a television in the home And whenever they would come to visit us, we never turned the television set on because we didn't want to affect their conscience about the television. It's because the the man of the house had issues with, how do I put it politely? Some of the commercials on television, you know how it's geared. So he had issues with that. That's why they had nothing to do with television. All right? So, you, so what do you do with that knowledge? What do you do that? And that's what Paul is saying here. Guys, you know that your brethren are weak in the conscience about this thing. You know this. What are you doing with this knowledge? What are you doing with this knowledge? So that's what Paul's addressing in verse eight. He says, but meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. See, that's what these guys were doing. They were, you know, judging their bro- work, uh, brethren with a weaker conscience, and they were thinking, you know, I'm more spiritual than so-and-so. I'm, I'm more advanced in my walk than so-and-so. Is that a charitable way to think? but take heed least by any means this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to them that are weak now I'm going to get on a little soapbox we've got good Christian friends on Facebook that for some reason have no qualms about showing a beer bottle on their table now how does that come across to those with a weak conscience you see where I'm getting at alright I'm off the soapbox I'm not going to get on it too much for if any man see thee which has knowledge sit at meat in an idol's temple shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols and through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. That's pretty easy to understand, isn't it? Just because you've got knowledge and just because you've got liberty, does that mean you can flaunt that knowledge and flaunt that liberty and take take no regard to how your behavior is affecting your brother or sister who may be struggling, or wrestling, or hasn't quite got victory over this issue? Kind of hits close to home, doesn't it? This kind of knowledge. The correct application is to show charity to those. To help them grow in grace. To help them realize the liberty they have in Christ. You know, not by rubbing it in their face but by helping him this is why Paul says in verse 13 wherefore if meat make my brother to offend he says i will eat no flesh while the world standeth lest i make my brother to offend you see what Paul is doing here with that knowledge he is depriving himself if you will for the sake of his brother in the mind of the oriental that's true knowledge that's true knowledge taking that knowledge that you have not so much for your own sake but you use that knowledge for the sake of others kind of lifts that knowledge up above just knowing facts, doesn't it? Jesus said in John 7 16 he said, my doctrine is not mine but his that sent me he says, if any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself he says says here if any man will do his will he shall know of the doctrine what are we always preaching in this church yeah know your bible but what else live it live it you really want to get your teeth into a doctrine you live it you live it you put it into practice What is it Brian always said? You make it a part of your spiritual DNA. Right? You live it. You put it into practice. You know, a lot of people know a lot about the Bible. They can quote it. They can tell you where to find it. They can take those doctrines and they can split hairs about it. But when it comes to actually putting it into practice... still have a lot to learn. I do. I do. You know, there's a lot about this book that I'll probably never live up to. (laughs) But I try. I try. Something else that this knowledge should have an effect on a person First Peter 1.22 it says seeing you have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the spirit on the unfeigned love of the brethren see that you love one another with a pure, pure heart fervently something else about this knowledge as far as the word of God is concerned <clears throat> it's to have a purifying effect in our life um, the washing of the water have you heard, have you heard that yeah it's supposed to Let me tell you something guys We walk in a cruddy dirty world And I'm not just talking about the dust on your On your pants I'm talking about the filth in your brain That this world is always trying to pump in there You know we need that word To get in there and wash it out And I'll tell you something else I don't know about you guys But I got a lot of baggage upstairs You know things that I carry around From my past and I need that renewing of my mind. I need for the Word of God to put all of that baggage in perspective in the light of my salvation. Does that make sense? So, yeah, yeah, we need the truth, we need the information, we need the data. But it's got to do its washing, its work, its, its renewing. <clears throat> One of my favorite authors... Uh, A.W. Tozer says theological truth is useless until it is obeyed (laughs) a lot of people know a lot of theological truth Uh, years back we went to a a big Bible college here in Kansas City I'm not going to name the name and there are a lot of folks running around with big armfuls of books and stuff talk about some of the most unfriendliest people you ever wanted to meet They may have had all this theological knowledge, but my goodness. Not a friendly group of people. Tozer goes on, he says, the purpose behind all doctrine is to secure moral action. You walk the talk and talk the walk. I think it's the simple way to put it. And that's what the writer of Proverbs is all about. He's, that's that's what that's his angle on uh, knowledge. And uh, you know, like I said, I mentioned uh, if you, you can read uh, or count forty-two times—I think it's forty-two times—that you'll find the word knowledge in the Bible, uh, written in the English. Uh, but uh, guess what? There's three different Hebrew words that's translated as knowledge found in Proverbs. And you know me, I've got to go to my strongs, and I've got to check this stuff out. And it doesn't make you know me any kind of an expert or anything like that. It doesn't elevate me. It's just my own curiosity about, okay, what's, what's being said here, okay? so so let's do a little word study. I'll, 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 I'll let you in on my word study, okay. The the most common <coughs> word used in in proverbs is the Hebrew word da'oth, I think, and it talks about knowledge. It talks about gaining information. That's what it talk. That's that's what it is. So it deals with the data, the facts, the information, all that kind of stuff. That's that's so that that's we can understand that. We can understand that. But here's, this, here's the little twist on this particular gathering of facts and data. <clears throat> and this is where it hurts. With the gathering of this information, there's also associated with it personal responsibility. Personal responsibility with what you know that hurts that kind of hurts for example Proverbs 22, 12, 23 says a prudent man someone who's wise somebody who's practical a prudent man concealeth knowledge but the heart of fools proclaimeth foolishness so here this prudent man he's got knowledge And he's exercising personal responsibility about this knowledge. And what he's doing is he's concealing this knowledge. He's keeping his cards close to the chest. While on the other hand, you've got this fool who is just proclaiming what he knows. Well, let's put this into some sort of day-to-day thing. Let's say you know something about something or someone. And you know that if this knowledge gets out, it's going to cause a lot of unnecessary drama, perhaps even hurt relationships. And maybe you don't know all that's going on, So, what do you do with that knowledge? Do you keep it until you find out a little bit more? Do you keep it trying to protect perhaps innocent parties? Or are you like the fool and you just can't wait to tell everybody what you know, irregardless of the drama, irregardless of the of the disaster you create, irregardless of the of the damage you do to relationships? See what I'm saying? So what this is telling me is that sometimes, because you know something, it might be prudent to hang on to that knowledge. Hang on to that knowledge. Here's a very good example in the Bible about that. There was a tree in the garden called the tree of what? The knowledge of good and evil. Okay? Now God told Adam, "Hey, you can have, you can eat of any tree in the garden, in the garden, except for that one. You, you don't eat of that tree." And he goes on and even tells Adam, he says, um, uh, "The day that you eat it, you're going to die." That's pretty clear. All right, that's some pretty clear knowledge about this, this tree. <clears throat> what happened? <laughs> Well, what happened was, is Adam and Eve circumvented God's way to knowledge. Which, by the way, what does this say? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That should be a clue to you about knowledge. So they circumvented in God's way to knowledge, which was being in fellowship with him. Because remember, God and Adam communed in the garden together. That's a pretty good gig, isn't it? I mean, if you wanted to find out about something, you've got the creator right there to tell you. But they circumvented that. They went ahead and they ate of that tree, and that's why we're in the mess that we're in. Okay, here comes the knowledge and the personal responsibility. Guess who else in the garden knew about that tree? The serpent. Guess who else knew all about circumventing God's authority and the consequences? The serpent. But what did he do with that knowledge? He deceived Eve, didn't he? He is held personally responsible for that. You see where I'm going? So be careful what you know. Be careful with it. Be careful with it. This knowledge also talks about being cunning. Um, In uh, 1 Kings 7... 13-14, 13-14, it says, And King Solomon sent and fetched Hiram out of Tyre. He was a widow's son of the tribe of Naphtali, and his father was a man of Tyre, a worker in brass. And he was filled with wisdom and understanding and cunning that's the same word, knowledge he was knowledgeable to work all, all works in brass and he came to King Solomon and all his work that's why I said earlier in this study about being cunning we, should, we need to be cunning we need to be skillful with God's wisdom skillful with God's understanding skillful with God's knowledge that's what Jesus said in Mark ten sixteen. He says, "Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves." So we need to be cunning in a good sense, not in an evil sense. You know, this is what we should aspire to be. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15 Study to show thyself approved unto God A workman Like Hiram Cunning Skilled with the knowledge gained from word of God So that's knowledge There's a personal responsibility To knowledge Personal responsibility to knowledge what are you doing with what you know? What are you doing with what you know? <laughs> Another example, along with this uh, knowledge of Job and how skillful you are with knowledge. Uh, Job, we know the story of Job. He's got some friends that showed up, and uh, if you know the story, were his friends doing him any good? No, they weren't were they they were smart men a lot of what they said was true that's got to be understood a lot of what they said was true Job 13 1 Job says lo mine eye hath seen all this mine ear hath heard and understand he says what you know the same do I know also I'm not inferior unto you Job says I know about all of this stuff that you guys are sharing with me Rough paraphrase. I'm not stupid. That's <laughs> what he's saying. Yes, uh, Ron. That was my next point. <laughs> <laughs> but you're absolutely right. He's frustrated with his counselors. He's frustrated with them and just like Ron says in Job chapter 12 and verse 1 he says no doubt but ye are the people and wisdom shall die with you but I have understanding as well as you I'm not inferior to you yea who knoweth not such things as these you see these guys had a lot of knowledge and what, a lot of what they were saying to Job was true but it was misapplied It was misapplied. It didn't apply to Job's case. It was misapplied. And that's the danger sometimes with somebody who's got a lot of knowledge. They misapply it. They misapply it. Proverbs 12.18 says, There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health." You know, some of us, we just hack away at people with the Word of God, don't we? We do. We just hack away at them and we just leave them in a big old pile of bloody spiritual mess. Just chopping them up with the Word of God. I've done that. I've done that to people. But yet you've got others who are skillful like surgeons. Had a, my best friend was that way Sam Shockley was his name he was a skilled man with the word of God he knew what verses to use he knew what illustrations from the Lord's life to use I mean that man was a surgeon of the soul uh, that's right I'm sorry I don't mean to speak of him in past tense he is a surgeon of the soul that's using the word of God skillfully And yeah, I've said this before. Sometimes a surgeon has to inflict a wound in order to heal a wound. Sometimes that tough love is needed. But you don't leave them in a bloody mess. Does that make sense? So at times, brutally honest is not always biblically honest. Not always. The second word used in Proverbs is the word benah. And uh, this word is used some 14 times. And uh, but 12 times it's translated as understanding. Translated as understanding. So what we're seeing here with this word used by the writer of Proverbs as far as knowledge is concerned that deals a little bit more with the practicality of it, just like what I was just talking about, a little bit more of the, the practicality of it but in the sense of um, um, the ability of the persons being able to understand okay? okay? In other words, taking that knowledge and knowing, having an understanding on um, how to apply it, the significance of it. De- uh, Deuteronomy 4.5, uh, the Lord says, Behold, I have taught you statues and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land whether you go to possess it keep therefore and do them and this is the reason for this is your wisdom and your understanding or knowledge in the sight of the nations we shall hear of these statutes and say surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people let's see if I can try to get this across God is saying to his people Israel he says guys I'm giving you this law for you to follow But there's a reason for you to follow this law. And this is your wisdom, this is your understanding if you get this. The reason why you're following this law is to be a witness to the nations that surround you. Because you see, God's purpose for the Jews was to be a testimony and a witness unto the Gentiles in regards to the living God and by their observance of the law they were to be a testimony to the Gentile nations so that the Gentile nations would turn from their idols and turn to the living God does that make sense? but they failed in that, didn't they? Because what they did was, instead of using the law as, as a testimony to the Gentiles, they used the law to close off the Gentiles. And don't you think for a minute that Christians don't do the very same thing? Because they do. See, the gospel is for us to get out there and reach the lost... But unfortunately, in some churches, they circle the wagons and they close the door to the lost. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm saying? That's not the intention of the gospel. That's not the intention of the law. Now, I did reach out to some, Queen of Sheba, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the general's name, who was healed of his leprosy. Uh, Naaman is that his name? Did I get that right Yeah, he wanted to, he wanted to bring us he wanted to bring sacks of earth from israel so that 's what he was going to worship the one true God on yeah let 's go to another passage first chronicles twelve thirty two about this particular Knowledge slash understanding First Chronicles chapter 12 verse 32 says you know the children of Issachar which were men that had understanding of the times that word knowledge to know what Israel ought to do the heads of them were 200 and all their brethren were at their commandment so they had understanding of the times and they knew what Israel ought to do See, David had become king, and uh, they knew that Israel was to take the land away from the Philistines and to establish the kingdom. They got it. They understood. They knew that David was now king, and so now they understood, okay, it's time for us to take back The kingdom from the Philistines and all those other nations that surrounded them. They got it. They understood their times and what they needed to be doing. When Jesus was admonishing the Pharisees and the scribes, he admonished them because, unlike Issachar's children, they didn't understand, they didn't discern the times that they were living in. They didn't see Jesus as the promised Messiah. So Jesus said in Matthew 16, 2, He said, uh, When it is evening, ye say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red, and in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. He says, Oh, ye hypocrites! You can discern the face of the sky, but can you not discern the signs of the times? He says, "The wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. He says, you guys are you're not seeing the times. You're not seeing the times you're living in. You're going to miss it. And they did, didn't they? They did. Do you think that applies to the church? yeah it does Ephesians 5.14 says wherefore he saith awake thou that sleepest arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light see then that ye walk circumspectly not as fools but as wise redeeming the time because the days are evil wherefore be ye not unwise but understanding what the will of the Lord is See, in the Laodicean age, what is, one of the, what is one of the infirmities of the church of Laodicea? They're, go ahead. They're blind. They're not seeing the times they're living in. There's a lot of Christians that are walking around proverbially like the ostrich with their head stuck in the sand. You think what's going on today is just circumstantial or something's going on, folks. Something's going on. That's this that's the second word of knowledge. It's it's having knowledge, but taking that knowledge and seeing how it relates to the times you're in. And that goes back to that personal responsibility with that knowledge. See how it all, like a, what is that, warp and weave of a tapestry? So knowledge is just more than book smarts. Okay, I got one, one last word. Hopefully I'll get it in. This word is Yada. Okay, you don't need to know that, but that's just just a word. And this word is used a lot in the Old Testament, 860 times. And this knowledge is knowledge gained through experience. Knowledge gained through experience. Our first parents um, certainly gained knowledge through experience, didn't they? Yeah, that's a hard way to go isn't it that's a hard way to go Um, there is an old proverb what is the old proverb Um, experience is the best teacher let me tell you something experience may be the best teacher but it's not always the kindest is it not always the kindest teacher this experiential knowledge can be gained, yes, through instruction. But this instruction also includes involvement, getting involved, involving yourself in in um, what you're learning. Psalms twenty-five four says, "Show me thy ways, O Lord; teach me thy paths." lead me in thy truth and teach me huh that sounds kind of familiar doesn't it that's um, what is the word discipleship it's discipleship isn't it that's what the Lord did with his disciples he taught them he showed them he led them and he also what involved them didn't he he involved them he got them involved in what he was doing the Apostle Paul what did he do with Timothy yeah he taught him he led him but he also involved him he got him involved in the ministry Philippians 2.19, he says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state, for I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ, but you know the proof of him that as a son with a father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. How did Timothy get to the place where he ministered to people like Paul ministered to people? You think he read it in a book? No. Experience. He listened to Paul's teachings. He saw the way Paul ministered to others. Paul involved him in that ministry. That's where he got it from. That's where he got it from. Uh, Some believe that you're not truly discipled unless you are involved. And I think there may be some merit to that. You're not truly discipled unless you're involved at some level. Now you don't need to be like a Brian to pastor a church but if that's your calling that's where you're going to go but you could be working in the Ewing you could be going to Mammoth. you know you could be mowing the, the grass that's involvement that's involvement the four goals of discipleship I hope they haven't changed if they have correct me the first goal is what to establish a disciple in the word of God Am I correct? Okay, good. Second goal, to establish a disciple in fellowship with other believers. Has that changed? Okay, good. I'm I'm on the right track. Uh, Goal number three, to establish a disciple in the structure of the local church. Is that still. Okay, that's still good. Uh, The fourth one, to establish you in the work of the ministry. Is that still a goal? How we doing? That's knowledge. That's a part of knowledge. Involvement. And you can see in these four goals the the three words of knowledge that I've been talking about here. too. One, personal responsibility with what you know. What are you doing with what you know? Two, with what you know... How is that affecting your perspective on what's going on? And then three, are you involved with this knowledge? Are you involved with this knowledge? So you can see that biblically, knowledge is more than just filling your head with facts, isn't it? Yeah, we, we need to do that. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. Ecclesiastes 117 says, I gave my heart to know wisdom. He got involved. He got involved. Psalms 38 or 34, 8. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good oh taste and see that's involvement that's involvement it's a personal responsibility an awareness of this knowledge and how it fits in the times we live and being involved Being involved with the knowledge that you know for the good of others. For the glory of God. That's knowledge in the Bible. That's knowledge in the Bible. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's the last thing. Remember what I said about our first parents circumventing knowledge? the way that God wants us to to know. You know what the best way is to learn knowledge of this sort? To have a relationship with Him. That's where it starts. How's your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? How's your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? I guarantee you, if your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is not good, then this will not take place. It starts with a relationship. It starts with a relationship. It's like what Tozier said the- theological knowledge is is, is is to be lived out to its moral conclusion. It kind of reminds me of what Brian's preaching about. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we'll have fellowship with him. And I guess that's the question to ask yourself. How's my fellowship? How's my fellowship with him? Amen? Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your word and for the depth And sometimes it hurts, and sometimes it encourages, sometimes it challenges, sometimes it just gives me that inspiration and that motivation that I need. Uh, Sometimes I look at myself as nothing more than a worm, but other times I look at myself and I am so glad I am a child of yours. Thank you so much, Father, for your, the richness in your word. It is truly a treasure. I pray, Lord God, that all of us would seek that wisdom and that knowledge and that understanding that comes from knowing you. And we are so glad that we know you personally. In Jesus Christ's name, we praise you and we glorify you with our lives. Amen. Any questions or comments?